Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. Touched my head, Sister Trout asked how I was doing, and right before church, my head just started pounding, but thank God it's lifted. I'm very thankful for that. So, um... I'm just going to dive in. Brother Mason, you're good. I've got, so, um, I passed out an assessment um, to those of you that came into church tonight. For those that came in after I handed one to you, is there anybody that does not have an assessment? Okay. So if you'll go ahead and fill those out. Basically, it's 12 questions. If you're not sure how to do it, you basically take the three sentences listed there for each question, and you pick the one that you most closely relate to or think that describes you the best. And then I can help you walk through, um, after you do the 12 questions, I can help you uh, walk through the how to score it if you're not sure how. So I'm going to give you about five minutes to do that. Brother Zach, do, oh, you did. You sent me a clock. Thank you so much. I need one, typically. Helps me stay on track. Is there anybody that has any questions about the assessment or don't understand? Everybody okay? All right. If you finish the 12 questions, the scoring is on the back. Um, but once it looks like everyone's gone through it, I'll help you with the scoring if you're not sure. But if, if you got this, and this is similar to the love language assessment we did before, um, but the scoring is different. So.
So for scoring purposes, you're going to go through and count up all the ones you checked that were A, the letter A, and write it down. You're going to count up all the ones that you checked that were letter B and letter C. And you're going to write those numbers in the box. Now, you're not adding those up together to get your score because you would automatically get 12. But make sure those three numbers you write down do equal 12 because there's 12 questions. So once you get those wrote down, the scoring is a little bit different on that second row. And if you have a question you're not sure between a couple, just go with your gut with the one that's closest to you. There may be more than one that describes you, but the one that closely, most closely you feel like describes you. I'll give you about another minute or two, and then I'll help you with the scoring. And no worries, I'm not going to ask you to share your score, okay? This is just between you, yourself, and I. Not me, just kidding. You, yourself, and you. I'm not going to ask you to share because I'm, cause you may take this and say, oh, my word, I did not score well. This is embarrassing. I'm going to recheck some boxes. You can be honest because this is just for your own personal knowledge, okay? So on the back, if you've marked down your um, letter A, B, and C, in the second line, you take whatever number you, that you scored for the letter C. So for example, if you had in the letter C, you had three C's, you would do three times two because you multiply your C times two. So that would be six. Then whatever number you wrote for, for box B, you just drop that number straight down and add the two together. So A is not included in that answer. So C times two, whatever you scored for C, multiply it times two and write it there. Add B and then you'll get a total. And then you'll see in the box there that it gives you a brief description on, on where you fall. Um, there are more detailed information um, that I just didn't take the time to print it all out on paper. Um, is there anybody not done? Everybody done with the assessment? Okay, just a couple. Okay. Give another few seconds here. So while you couple are finishing this, I'm just going to share. Pastor did give me um, permission. Many of you may know that Pastor has been dealing with back issues for a while, for a few months now, um, some pain and different things. And the doctor sent him for an MRI. He actually went down from the waiting room while his mom was in surgery to get his MRI on Monday. And he got the results yesterday. And um, he has a large protrusion of a, a disc in his lower back. And they're referring him to a neurosurgeon for surgery. So um, we will, his, I know that his dad knows a little bit about it. I don't know how much his mom knows. We're trying to just protect her um, right now because she's in recovery. Um, but he will be, um, so that's why, like, tonight I asked someone else to get my Bible stand. He is unrestricted. He can do nothing. He can't mow his lawn. He can't twist. He can't lift. When we're setting up tables Sunday for Sunday school picnic, he's not doing it. So if you all see him trying to do something, 
you tell him, no, he ain't doing it. Because, you know, pastor, he'll just suffer through. But um, the doctor doesn't want him. He also, down in that area, he has some evidence of hemorrhaging, where there's blood pooled in that area where the disc is protruded. And he, his words were, I don't understand how you're not going around in excruciating pain. I said, well, honey, we know. That's God. God's keeping him from being in excruciating pain because we've been doing a lot of travel and a lot of conference and a lot of different things. So I thank God that he's not in all that pain that they said that he should be in right now. So be in prayer for pastor if you don't mind. And uh, um, that's why if he behaves himself, he's not going to be doing anything he shouldn't be doing, right? Y'all going to help me out with that? Amen. He, take, he is taking care of us. He is a nurturer. So it's our turn to take care of him. So, um, all right. So for your anger assessment, um, if you, I'm going to run through just real quick the descriptions so that you can kind of see where you fall. And then um, we're going to get into this. 19 to 24, if you scored between 19 to 24, that indicates you generally have a good handle on your anger. You're likely aware of the things that make you angry. And you tend to be intentional in processing your feelings of anger. You probably don't experience too many difficulties from anger-related issues in your personal or professional life. There's always room for improvement, however. 7 to 18. You are doing well, but you can improve. Your results indicate someone who likely handles your anger well in many situations, but there are still times when your anger is handling you. Recognize the areas where you're doing well, but also be cautious that your anger is not getting out of hand in other ways. Think about the situations where your anger comes out most often. Is it with loved ones, at work? What happens when you react angrily? Are you a shouter or do you turn your anger inward? What words do you tend to use? What feelings tend to come out when you're angry? And how do those feelings find expression, in good ways or bad, okay? And if you scored zero to six, your response indicates that how you are currently handling your anger could use improvement. You likely have many difficulties stemming from how you express your anger and how you relate to others during times of conflict. Your angry responses in many situations are likely exaggerated and create additional problems for you. You also may not understand why you respond angrily in certain situations or from where your anger is stemming or coming from. These difficulties likely demand further attention from you to either heal some broken relationships or to move ahead in a healthy way in other personal and or professional situations. So that's here. Now, this is based on, do you all remember when I did the five love languages during the marriage teaching by Dr. Gary Chapman? Okay, well, Gary Chapman also wrote, this is what my series is based on, is this book here called Anger, Taming a Powerful Emotion, and his assessment um, goes in tandem with this book. So a lot of what that I will be teaching over the next few Wednesdays can be found in this book. And so if the material is relevant to you and you think it's something that you would enjoy, um, I recommend this book. So before we get started, I have a short video I want to show. So if you'll turn your attention to the screen. Hey, Aaron. Hey, I was wondering if you could do me a big favor. Oh, sure. Any, what is it? Well, I was wondering if you would pretend that you're angry for me. I should pretend that I'm angry for you? Mm-hmm. You see, I was just trying to imagine what people look like when they're angry, you know? Oh, yeah? And I said to myself, boy, nobody can get angry like my old buddy Bert gets angry. Huh. Is that what you said to yourself? You honest, I sure did, I'll Bert. Be. Because you're really just great at getting angry, you well, know? Well, Ernie, gee, thanks. You mm -hmm. know, really, I... But, but I just can't get angry like that, you know? I mean, I, 
I need something to get angry at, you know, I mean. Oh, well, that's easy, Bert. You see, we could just, uh, we could think of something. You yeah? See? Sure, let me like just what? think for a second. Um, hmm. Well, you know, for instance, you know, you know your paper clip collection? Oh, oh, my favorite one, yeah, yeah. Yes, you, you have a favorite collection of those paper right. clips that you just love. Oh, I love it so much. Okay, oh, well, see, uh, now just pretend yeah. that I borrowed that collection of paper clips and I took it outdoors and was playing with it, you see? Yeah. And pretend that I had it over there by the sewer, you see? By the sewer? Yes, and pretend that I dropped it in there and lost it forever, you see, Bert? My, my my favorite paper cup collection? Yeah, yeah, just pretend that I lost it down the sewer. Oh, wow, that was really great, Bert. That was just beautiful. Uh, oh, thanks, Aaron. You, you, are, <laughs> you are so good at being angry, Bert. Yeah? Oh, yeah. Oh, wow. Hey, listen, <laughs> what? Bert. Yeah? Do it again for me. Again? Mm-hmm. I mean, oh, it, it's Ernie. so good, Bert. I mean, you can do it like nobody else can, Bert. Yeah, Ernie, but you see, it really is hard to do, you know? Oh, I'm sure it's hard to it's do. It's tiring. But you can, you can do it by just <laughs> pretending, you see? Now, now, just pretend, pretend, you see, that I took your favorite paperclip collection, you see, and I dropped it and lost yeah. it forever. Lost it? Down the sewer. Down uh, the sewer? <laughs> oh, that was fantastic, Bert. <laughs> just fantastic. Hey, listen, oh. Bert, Bert. Whew. Bert, uh, do it once more. Oh, Ernie, look, I, I really, I can't do it again, Ernie. You can't oh, do it no, again? Oh, no, it's so tiring. How come? Oh, Ernie, see, getting angry is very hard, and, uh -huh. and oh, boy, it's very tiring, too. I, I couldn't do it again. No, I just couldn't. Oh, gee, you're, you're absolutely uh, sure you uh, just couldn't get angry just one more time? Ernie, I'm sorry. I promise you, I just could not do it one more time. Oh, uh, okay, Bert. <sighs> oh, um, boy. By the way, Bert. Yeah. I really did lose your favorite paperclip collection down the sewer. So, to, for the next few weeks, I want to title my series, Being Good at Being Angry. Being Good at Being Angry. So, maybe not good in the way that Bert was good. But we're going to talk about being angry tonight. So first of all, I want to start out with just a simple statement. Being angry is not a sin. Now, several, several months ago, I taught a Sunday school class in the back with the kids. And I taught a Sunday school lesson on anger. And I asked them the question, how many of you think getting angry is a sin? And believe it or not, there were some that thought getting angry was a sin. And so I taught them being angry is not a sin. It's what we do with our anger, our actions that we do as a result of our anger that can get us into trouble. We're going to go to Ephesians 4, 26 through 27, where the scripture says, Be ye angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath, neither give place to the devil. So by this one simple scripture, we can derive that we are going to be angry. It says, Be ye angry. We're going to be angry. But then he follows it up and sin not. It says, don't let the sun go down upon your wrath. I heard Sister Baus teach, and she said, the simple reason why we don't want the sun to go down upon our wrath is that that means that we're continuing to hold on to our anger, which then can turn into bitterness and hate. We don't want to give place to the devil. Now, Proverbs 19.11 says, the discretion of a man deferreth his anger, and it is his glory to pass over a transgression. 
Now, deferreth, which of course has that ETH, which means to defer and to continue to defer, as we've heard Pastor teach on the ETH ending. Defer means to put off an action to a later time, to postpone. So the discretion of a man postpones and puts off his anger. In other words, it's kind of like you get really mad and you take a time out before you do anything with it, right? So that's what this is saying. Anger is an emotion. Anger is a feeling. It is not a sin. Our actions that we take as a result of our anger, those can be a sin. It depends on what we do with it. So we're going to dive deep into anger, and we're going to look at it from the inside out. Because we know that God created us to be a feeling person. We feel all types of things, love, and we feel happiness, we feel sadness. And God created us with the capacity to feel anger. So we're going to understand and teach and learn about the different things about anger before we get to how we handle our anger. Because one of the things that Dr. Chapman pointed out is that many times there are many self-help books to say how to deal with your anger, how to control your anger, what to do with your anger, without ever really diving into the origins and the purpose of anger. Why did God create us with the ability to feel anger? No one is exempt from anger. It affects us all. Is there anyone in here that can say you've never been angry, not one time in your entire life? Good. Everyone's truthful, I think, except for one that knows that that's not true. <laughs> it affects us all. Every one of us have been angry. We've all been the target of someone's anger, too. Probably all of us sitting in here have been or are currently angry at someone or something. You might be angry at your spouse, your kids, your boss, your neighbor your in-laws. Um, I probably got some college kids down the street angry at me tonight because there was a big group of them hanging out in front of a house that had a roof be going on, and they weren't doing anything except standing around with big sticks, and we've had a lot of break-ins in our neighborhood, and I didn't trust it, so I called the homeowner and I called the cops. So I think they were just waiting for their ride. They had been there to work, but when I left my house for church, they waved at me. So, you know, <laughs> I don't think it was friendly. But, you know, anyway, they're probably mad at me. If any of you know who they are, you can give them my apologies. But many of us have issues with anger. We feel it. We know it's there. Yet we're conflicted on how to handle it. And it goes without saying that many Christians are confused when it comes to dealing with anger. Because it's a really complex, it's a really powerful emotion. But if we are followers of Christ... Is there an appropriate way, a right time to express our anger? What does the Bible say? Can it even be a good thing? Can anger be a good thing? So we're going to answer some of these questions. Aristotle said this, anyone can become angry. That's easy. But to be angry with the right person at the right time and for the right purpose and in the right way, that is not within everyone's power and that is not easy. Most of us have feelings of anger that rise, but the issue is we let them lead us to inappropriate behavior because we just don't know how to handle it or what to do with it. In order to know how to become good at being angry, let's just dissect anger and let's start from the beginning. What is the origin of anger and what is the purpose of anger? Now, anger, if you just look it up in the dictionary, it's described as a strong passion or emotion of displeasure and usually antagonism excited by a sense of injury or insult. Anger is not one of those things where we're sitting around one day and we think, you know what, 
I think right now I'm just going to experience some anger. You know, we just, that doesn't happen. Because anger is not something we decide to do just on a whim. Anger is a response. Anger is a response of emotion. We respond to some type of event in life. It may cause us irritation, frustration, pain, or other displeasure. There's many things that can provoke anger. And it may be different for different people. Some things will make you angry that won't make me angry and vice versa. So what are some things that can cause anger? It could be a multitude of things. Maybe someone is so totally rude and they look at your kid and they make some comment about their height or their ability or their weight or their performance. And I mean, nothing brings out mama or papa bear like someone criticizing your kids, right? Or someone cuts you off in traffic after you stayed in the right lane leading up to that construction zone where they zipped up to the front of the line and squeezed in even though you tried not to let them. Oh, there comes that anger. You're feeling it now. Or maybe you have someone you're connected to on Facebook and you get so aggravated and frustrated because they're constantly posting all these political rants and life views and religious and it just it drives you up a wall. Now, many of you have heard me in the past talk about anger being an umbrella emotion, right, in our marriage teaching. That's because anger is fed by other feelings and other emotions, things like disappointment, hurt, rejection, embarrassment, things like that. I asked my kids today, I said, what's something that makes you mad? Tell me something that makes you mad. So they begin to tell me some things that made them mad, and I said, well, why does that make you mad? And one of the things they commented was, um, it stemmed from feelings of being disrespected or embarrassed, someone making fun of them or whatnot like that. I said, so you became angry because you felt embarrassed or you became angry because you felt disrespected. They said, yeah, that's right, Mom. They said, why, do you need that for tonight? I said, no, I was just curious, but you can tell them I used it. <laughs> but anger does set you at odds with the person, the place, the thing that sparked the emotion. It's not always a person, Right? And it's the opposite feeling of love because love draws you towards a person while anger sets you against them. And anger will start in the mind, but then it will include the body. Think about it. Adrenaline begins to race. Blood rushes to our face. Our blood pressure starts going up. Our teeth and our fists start clenching. Our chest gets tight. Our stomach churns. Our heart begins to race. You cannot deny in your physical body when anger arises. And then, though, it doesn't stop there. Because if we allow it to, that anger will spill over into action. Maybe Ken is so aggravated because the lawnmower won't start for the 20th time. And he is over it. So he just kicks the thing and breaks his toe. He was mad. Or maybe the trash is still sitting by the door. Even though Becky asked him to take it out three times already, she finally grabs it, stomps outside, and launches it toward the trash can. Her husband Tim says, what are you doing? I was going to take it out. And so the argument begins as angry words go back and forth. Tim says she's a nag. Becky says he never listens to her. So there we go, anger. Or maybe the mother Maggie's taking care of her kids. It's the fifth week of the summer. They're eating her out of house and home, eating everything in sight, bickering with each other. It's been raining nonstop, so they're stuck inside. Over breakfast, the kids are fussing over who gets the Toy Story bowl, and they knock over the last gallon of milk in the house. Mom's blood pressure goes through the roof, and she starts yelling at the kids. So while we can't control our bodily reaction to anger, 
we do have the ability to control our mental and physical response to anger. And yes, easier said than done. But hopefully through this series, we're all going to glean some help, myself included. So what is the origin of anger? Now bear with me when I make this statement. Anger is rooted in the nature of God. Now you may think that sounds really strange to say. But while anger is not part of the nature of God, it is derived from two aspects of his divine nature. And that's his holiness and his love. And I'm going to explain. Now, God is holy, which means set apart from sin. That's what holiness means. There is no sin in the nature of God. Hebrews 4.15 states in the second half of that verse, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. God, robed in flesh, walking this earth, faced all the situations that we face that would make us angry and upset. And Jesus experienced those things too, but he did not sin. God is also love. You know, the scripture tells us God is love. And this is shown throughout scripture as God showed compassion, he showed mercy and loved his creation. He ultimately showed his love when he laid down his life, even while we were yet sinners. So from these two characteristics, anger is derived. Now, nowhere in the scripture does it ever say God is anger. It's not in the scripture because that's not true. It's not part of his nature. But we can see many, many times throughout scripture where God experiences anger. In fact, in the Old Testament, anger is mentioned 455 times. Out of those, 375 of those refer to God's anger. Not anger by a person, but God's anger. In fact, in the scripture Psalms 7 and 11, it says, God is angry with the wicked every day. Every day. We also see God's anger displayed in the New Testament. In Mark 3, there's a story of a man with a withered hand, and it was the Sabbath. And the Pharisees stood there watching Jesus to see if he was going to heal on the Sabbath day because you weren't supposed to do anything on the Sabbath. And so Jesus asked them in verse 3, Is it lawful to do good on the Sabbath day or to do evil, to save a life or to kill? Well, the Pharisees stayed silent. They, they just refused to answer and scripture says that he looked around at them with anger because of the hardness of their hearts. He went, then went on to still do good and heal the man in front of them. In John 2, we read about people who had basically taken the temple of God and basically turned it into a flea market, really, is the best way to think about it. There was men there. They were selling all manner of animals for purchase, people to sacrifice. And Jesus became very angry. And he went and made a whip. He walked in there. He overturned the money changers' tables. And he used the whip to drive them out of the temple because he was so mad and angry that they were turning what he said should be a house of prayer into a den of thieves. And he expressed his anger, okay? Now keep in mind, Jesus never sinned. But here we see an expression of anger, right? Okay. But be so because God is holy and because he is love, he necessarily experiences anger because his love seeks the good of his creation. 
And his holiness forever stands against sin. Okay? So he bases his moral law, the law for man, on these two things. Because God wants us, he desires for us to do what is right. And he wants us to enjoy the benefits. But when he sees and knows the detrimental effects of man's sin, his anger is kindled. So it's his concern for justice and righteousness that stir God's anger. And he has every right because he is God, he is without sin, he is perfect in all ways, he sees and knows all things, he is everywhere at all time. He has the right to be angry. So when God sees evil, anger is his logical response to injustice or to unrighteousness. So how does that relate to human anger? Now scripture tells us in Genesis 1:27 that we're made in the image of God. And even though that image was marred by the fall, we still have his nature ingrained in us. If you would go out and find the most worldly person you know, you'll find that that person still has a line that they draw somewhere that has a sense of justice, fairness, right and wrong. You may say, yeah, but they're so way out there. Go steal their car and see if they don't get angry, right? They'll tell you, that was wrong, you took my car. Because that's a sense of right and wrong, right? Maybe he sees another man beating his wife. See if he doesn't scream for justice. Say something bad about his mama, see if he doesn't get angry, right? Even you think about kids from a young age, and you hear kids start complaining and saying things like, that's not fair, that's not fair. Well, where did that moral compass come from? How did they know it wasn't fair? It's stamped deep in the child's nature, and then it continues to be nurtured by a parent's teaching and nurture. So anger, then, is the emotion that arises when we encounter what we perceive to be wrong. Try to remember the last time you experienced anger. For some of you, that may have been today, may have been five minutes ago. I don't know. But ask yourself, why did I get angry? Why? See if you can answer that question. And probably you'll mention some injustice. Someone didn't treat you fairly. Something was wrong. Your anger may be directed at a person, an object. Your anger can be directed at a situation. Your anger may even be with yourself. And your anger could even be at God. But in every situation, you feel that someone treated you wrongly. Now, at this point in my teaching, we're not discussing whether your perception of wrong is valid or invalid right? Okay. Because some people have perceived wrongs that aren't really there, right? You know, we could go down the path of victim mentality and everybody's out to get me and all that. Okay. We're not talking about that. We're just saying that when we get angry, it originates in the idea that something's wrong or someone has done me wrong, right? So this sense of morality is rooted in the fact that we're created in the image of God who is holy and established moral law for our good. Now I'm going to read a quote by Dr. Chapman and he says this, Anger is not evil. Anger is not sinful. Anger is not part of our fallen nature. Anger is not Satan at work in our lives. Quite the contrary. Anger is evidence that we are made in God's image. It demonstrates that we still have some concern for justice and righteousness in spite of our fallen state. The capacity of anger is strong evidence that we are more than mere animals. It reveals our concern for rightness, justice, and fairness. The experience of anger is evidence of our nobility and not our depravity. 
We should thank God for our capacity to experience anger. When one ceases or stops experiencing anger, one has lost his or her sense of moral concern. Without moral concern, the world would be a dreadful place indeed. That's a lot to swallow because so many times we've come up with these skewed views of what anger is and what it means to be angry. It's really something to begin to grasp the idea that we're ingrained and we're made in the image of God and he experienced anger and we're going to experience it and that it's not just part of being fallen man. So that brings us to question two. Then what's the purpose of anger? Or what's God's purpose for human anger? If he gave us the capacity to feel anger, what are we supposed to do with it? The most basic answer is this. God allows us to feel anger so that it will motivate us to take positive action when we encounter injustice. Consider in this Bible when God sent Jonah to Nineveh, right? The city of Nineveh, they were doing wickedly. They were committing all sorts of evil. And God became angry at Nineveh. And he had the plan that he was going to destroy Nineveh. But God, in his anger, took positive action. God spoke to Jonah and said, Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh, and I want you to speak to the people of the city, and I want you to tell them, I am angry at your actions, and if you don't change your ways, I am going to destroy the city. Well, Jonah, after all of his little long roundabout way, ended up in Nineveh preaching the message. Well, the people of the city responded to the message and began to repent. They began to fast. They wouldn't let people eat. They were turning themselves back to God. They said, perchance maybe he won't destroy us. And God's compassion and forgiveness rose to the surface. And God forgave them and did not destroy the city. God's anger was shown through positive action. He sent a man to tell the evildoer that the evil would be punished. And on a side note, is that not what happens when the preacher begins to tell us how to live right in our day and age? Because at some point we will face judgment, but God in his mercy sends a man of God to give us the message that we need to change our ways so that we will not be judged, right? That's a side note. Now, when the people repented, God had compassion, and he did not destroy the city. So his anger did its job. It served its purpose. God's holiness will not allow him to remain silent when his children are involved in evil activity. We see that all throughout the Old Testament when Israel kept turning away to false gods, and they kept going their own way and bowing to idols and marrying into people they shouldn't because of interaction with other uh, beliefs and gods. And he would have anger and action. But his actions were not just to punish. He was hoping to turn their hearts back to him. That's where his anger was. His love will always seek to express his anger for the good of us all. That's why our, where God's anger comes in. He does it for our good. So God shows us an example. This is the divine order. Take loving action, stop the evil, and redeem the evildoer. Dr. Chapman says, anger is not designed to drive us to say or do destructive things to the people who may have wronged us. Anger's fundamental purpose is to motivate us to positive loving action that will leave things better than we found them. Now, a good example of this is the group that was created many years ago called Mothers Against Drunk Driving. MAD for short, which is awesome. 
Because this was created because there had been deaths as a result of drunk drivers. There had been judges that were handing down extremely light sentences. These people were basically getting a slap on the wrist. People had died. And these judges, were, they didn't feel, were being fair. And so these moms got angry. And so they created this group. And so they banded together. And the action that they took was every time there was a drunk driver that was a defendant in a court case, they would show up and sit in the courtroom. Let it be known who they were, mothers against drunk driving, pictures of their loved ones that had died. And so as a result, the judge had to hand down a sentence in the presence of these mothers who had lost children to drunk drivers. As a result, they began to hand out harsher and stiffer sentences. Not only that, but there were new laws that were passed. The laws that were passed created stiffer and harsher punishments that were automatically required by law. So here are these mothers. What did they do with their anger? They did positive action. It resulted in a better outcome. Now, in our own life, think about as a parent. Maybe you have a kid and, you know, whatever age, teenager, young, and they're just, they just disobey the rules. They're not, they know the rules, they know the expectation, and they're not doing what they're told. Well, as a mom or a dad, you get mad. You get angry. And so we enact a punishment, right? Maybe we ground them from any media. Maybe we make them do an extra chore. Maybe we put them in a shirt with their sibling, you know, and right, get along on it. I mean, just whatever it might be. But you enact a punishment. And the kid doesn't like it. But if you've enacted your anger and expressed it with a positive action, your hope then is that it will change the behavior of the child and there will be a better outcome and they will stop doing the behavior and the rebelling and the things they weren't supposed to do. You expressed your anger in a positive action that resulted in a better outcome. Anger is kind of like a red light flashing on the dash of a car. It indicates something is wrong. Anger can be a powerful and a positive motivator, but it can also become a raging, uncontrollable force. It can be either or. So here's the difficulty. In the heat of anger, we are not thinking clearly. When we get mad and that everything's just going crazy in our body, we don't stop and say, hmm, let me think about this for a moment. Like we are just so mad that that logical thinking, all of that just kind of goes out the window. And on a side note, we see in our society some of the things that have resulted that people are now in life in prison because of what they did in a fit of rage or in a fit of anger. So we forget all the things, all the logic, all the things, and we let our anger take over and decide that we're so mad, I don't care anymore, I don't care who I hurt, I don't care what I destroy, and we don't get a better outcome. We end up making things worse. And here's the kicker. It doesn't make things worse only for those around us, but for ourselves as well. It's so much easier said than done, though, isn't it? So here's the thing. Yeah. Say, I'm, I'm so mad I can't think straight. And scientists have literally proven that during the moment of time of a person's anger, their IQ does lower. I believe that. So, in perfect tandem with that, whenever the anger arises, we have to engage the frontal lobe of our brain. It determines logic and self-control. 
And we have to forcibly do that to override the part of the brain responsible for our anger. And I'm going to show you another video. Now, in this video, um, I'll make one little caveat. He does make a reference to road rage. And he talks about sometimes people will make a hand signal that they wouldn't normally make, but they do it because they're angry. We all know that, you know, we do not approve, but it's just in the course of this video, um, understand that that's there. If you'll show that for me, Brother Zach, my next video that I have. Hey there, welcome to Life Noggin. Have you ever been so angry that you start to relate to those cartoon characters who have steam coming out of their ears? Or maybe you feel like your blood is boiling beneath your skin. Even though you may know what the external cause of your anger is, what's actually going on inside your body when you're angry? That's what we're gonna find out. Imagine that you are driving on a freeway and somebody suddenly cuts you off. You will most likely get angry and either honk your horn or possibly give them a not-so-nice hand gesture. Admit it, we've all done it before. Inside your brain, the amygdala, which responds to outside stimuli, processes the car cutting you off and coordinates the release of neurotransmitters called catecholamines. These cause you to feel a burst of energy preparing you for physical action. The hormones epinephrine and norepinephrine are also released, increasing your blood pressure. Your heart rate increases and your face may flush as the blood rushes to your extremities. If you have ever seen someone so angry that they turn red as a lobster, this is why. If you want to keep this anger at bay, you'll have to use your prefrontal cortex. You can think of this as the area that controls your judgment. And if you don't use your prefrontal cortex, you may act aggressively towards others. Take Phineas Gage as an example. In 1848, while at work, a tamping iron was shot through his left cheek and exited through the top of his head. Somehow he survived, but his frontal lobe was severely damaged. After his injury, he is said to have been fitful, irreverent, and had the animal passions of a strong man. Perhaps the damage to his frontal lobe destroyed his ability to control his behavior. He was not only a new man, but also one incapable of self-constraint. It's also important to note that constant chronic anger can greatly increase a person's chance of getting a heart disease like high blood pressure or heart attacks. Anger and the heart are very connected. This is because epinephrine and norepinephrine constrict blood vessels making your heart pump harder. These two hormones also increase the amount of glucose and fatty acids in the blood. The increased levels can lead to damage in artery walls and speed up the process of atherosclerosis. When the fatty plaque builds up in the artery it narrows them and decreases the flow of oxygen-rich blood to the body. This can lead to a heart attack, stroke, or death. But fear not, there are healthy ways to control your anger such as meditation, anger management therapy, exercise, or even just relaxing and doing something fun, like watching a few Life Noggin videos. So tell us, what is one thing that makes you angry and what do you do to get over that feeling? Make sure you come back every Monday and Thursday for a brand new video. And if you want even more Life Noggin... So I love the statement in there that said anger and the heart are connected. And while they were referring to it physically, we all know that anger in the heart also is affected spiritually, true? So how do you engage that self-control? That's good to say, okay, we got to engage this other part of our brain and all that. But I mean, how do you do it? How do you not fly off the handle? How do you maintain the cool of Bruce Banner and not let the Hulk come out? Next week, we're going to talk about five steps on processing anger. When you're angry for a good reason. Because sometimes you can be angry for the wrong reason or a bad reason. But we're going to talk about several things. But next week, we're going to start talking about if the object of your anger is someone you're in relationship with. Maybe a friend, a neighbor, a spouse, a relative. And so these are, I'm going to just kind of generally tell you the five things we're going to talk about. These are kind of like the five steps. One of them is acknowledging that you're angry restraining your immediate response, locating the focus of your anger, analyzing your options, and taking constructive action. So tonight, what are tonight's takeaways? Let's summarize. 
I know you're saying, wow, she's already almost done. Like, this is weird, but yes. 45 minutes, that's cool. So tonight's takeaway. Number one takeaway, anger is not a sin. It's an emotion. Really, it's a combination of emotions. Number two, the origin of anger resides in the nature of God, mainly his love and his holiness. Number three, God responded in anger to injustice, evil, and sin. It's okay for us to feel the same. For example, I know all of us sitting in this room can say that we're angry at the new laws being passed, letting people commit abortion right up until birth, right? That makes us angry because we, it's an injustice. It's wrong. It's innocent life. So you can say, oh, wow, that's, it's okay to be angry. Yes, of course it is. There's things that we should be angry about as the children of God. Number four, anger is evidence that we are concerned with right and wrong. And number five, the last takeaway for tonight, the purpose of anger is to motivate us to positive action that will result in a better outcome. So in the weeks to come, I think it's supposed to be three weeks. I don't know. It may be another extra. I'm not sure. We'll just see. But we're going to talk about distorted anger when anger is wrong, how to handle bad anger, explosions and implosions. Now, basically, people a lot of times respond to anger in one or two ways. They either completely blow up or they stuff it all down and they just seethe and they let it just simmer inside. We're going to talk about bitterness. We're going to talk about when we're angry at God, angry at our kids, our spouse, and a few other things like that. So tonight I ask that you just consider the results that you have found based on your assessment and go home and you can even begin to look and see in those different stories that I mentioned that the God we serve had moments and times of anger in response to injustice and unrighteousness and things like that. And you may start asking yourself, are there people in my life that I'm angry at? Is there situations in my life that I'm angry at? Do I have a right to be angry? And we're going to discuss some of those things in the coming weeks. But I thank you for your time tonight and appreciate your attentiveness. And I'm going to turn it back to Pastor. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you and have a blessed day.